Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Canada EHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And if you're a fan of Canadian History X, make sure you check out my other shows, From John to Justin and Canada, A Yearly Journey. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. It helps keep this show going. All right, on with the show. Born on March 21st, 1936 to Percy and Mary Broadbent, Ed Broadbent was raised in a typical home for a time in Oshawa, where his father worked for General Motors. In 1961, Broadbent would marry Yvonne Yamoka, who was a town planner and had lived through the internment of the Japanese during the Second World War with her family. In 1966, Broadbent received a Doctor of Philosophy degree from the University of Toronto. And in 1967, Broadbent and Yvonne divorced. And it was around this time that Broadbent decided he would run for federal politics. Things got off to a rocky start, though. The man who nominated him to represent the NDP in the riding, Abe Taylor, even said his nomination speech was dreadful. In his opinion, it was far too academic, and he used too many extravagant words. In the 1968 election, Broadbent was elected to the House of Commons, defeating his opponent, Michael Starr, by only 15 votes. With the results so close, there was a recount. At first, the initial result was a loss by 8 votes, but with the recount, which put the recount to 15 votes for which Starr lost by. Starr had thought about appealing the election result, but in the end would state that he decided against it because he didn't like the idea of it. According to Starr, the loss by such a small number of votes would stay with him for a long time, and while he felt no ill will towards Broadbent, he did not like to talk about the election for much of his life. In 1971, Broadbent would marry Lucille Monroe. The couple remained married until 2006 when she sadly passed away from cancer. The same year he remarried, he would run for the first time to lead the new Democratic Party. The new Democrats will choose a new leader next year to succeed Tommy Douglas, and as of today, it looks like a two-man fight. Ed Broadbent, a 34-year-old political science professor, is the first to declare himself as a candidate. He has represented the Ontario riding of Oshawa Whitby for the past two years and has been active as a party policymaker. He is regarded as being to the left of his most probable rival, veteran Deputy Leader David Lewis. However, he does not go along with the radical waffle manifesto of Professor Mel Watkins, and in Ottawa, he discusses that with Ralph Thomas. What has concerned me most uh, up to the present, what concerned me right at the outset with the statement, was the excessive concern with uh, criticizing uh, the United States. That is in the context of the statement about politics in Canada. That's, that's what I want to make clear. The, not that uh, perhaps what's in it, in the statement, uh, is factually false. Uh, for example, calling the United States a racist society, saying it's militaristic abroad. Uh, these statements happen to be true, especially if we think of the underdeveloped countries, if we think of Vietnam, and if we think of the Negro problem in the United States. But what concerns me as a Canadian politician is that this should not be a prime concern for us, and especially in the early parts of a manifesto about politics in Canada. The party was looking for a leader to replace the iconic Tommy Douglas. 
Broadbent would have 13.9% of the vote on the first ballot and 13.1% on the second ballot. At that point, he was eliminated from the running. As 1975 rolled around, Broadbent tried again to win the leadership of the party, and this time he succeeded. He was able to slowly increase his vote share over challenger Rosemary Brown throughout the entire contest. The NDP leadership campaign has been a gentle tug of war between the four main candidates. What little interest it has generated inside and outside the party centers around Ed Broadbent. The question is, can he be defeated? Broadbent, who has been leading the party in Parliament since David Lewis lost his seat, is backed by a majority of the 16-member caucus, trade union leaders, and the NDP establishment. Broadbent has lost some support by being the on-again, off-again candidate, demanding more time with his family. But Ed, as his campaign literature insists, will go flat out to make the NDP a contender by the 1978 election. The tough-minded decisions that really political life is all about, if we're serious about it, is what I'm trying to address myself to. When I say, will we move to the left, I'm not content personally as a politician with nice, vague generalizations. I want to think about what that means. And that's why I've given some thought, not just for the campaign, but since last July. He would remain in first on each ballot, increasing his ballot share from 33.1% on the first ballot to 59.9% on the fourth ballot, which he won on. With his election, he became the first Canadian-born leader of the NDP in its entire history. Taking over as leader, many saw the NDP as a leaky ship in difficult waters. And as leader of the party, Broadbent would be criticized for his long and complex speeches, but many also considered him to be an honest man. Throughout the next few years, in the lead-up to the 1979 federal election, Broadbent worked on his speaking style, making it more professional. His fashion was also improved, so it was less of a rumpled style. Gone were his tweed and corduroy jackets, and his hair was styled in a new, more professional way. McLean's would say, Deliberate changes to his carefully cultivated public image have also helped. Broadbent's rhetoric is less shrill, his temper is less evident, and he has mothballed his baggy corduroys for trim, navy blue suits. In his first election as leader in 1979, Broadbent had problems getting the coverage he needed in the election. At one point, while touring a steel mill in Sydney, Nova Scotia, Neither CBC nor CTV used any of the video from the event on the newscast. His campaign was seen as efficient, though, with just a bus and five staff with him as he toured throughout Canada to drum up votes for the NDP. Broadbent would campaign with an issue a day, and policy announcements were made in French and English on television. Broadbent's advertising campaign would also cost $1.2 million, triple what it cost in the 1974 election. That election saw the first televised debate in over 10 years for a federal election. The debate was watched by millions of Canadians, but progressive conservative Joe Clark did not fare well, with many labeling him as weak compared to the other leaders. Among viewers, Broadbent did the best of the debate, portraying his party as an alternative to the Liberals. He was also an experienced speaker, and the debate resulted in the NDP making him the centerpiece of their television advertising from that point on. Of the debate, the auto citizen would say, Joe Clark didn't knock over his glass of water. Pierre Trudeau didn't swear. There were no strings visible behind Ed Broadbent's back leading to Dennis McDermott. The great debate, therefore, would be called a success for all three party leaders. 
With that out of the way, the one-on-one debates began, the first one pitting Joe Clark against Ed Broadbent. Each segment was opened with a question from one of the three journalists in the studio, and the first question from the CBC's David Halton asked Clark to explain how he would achieve a balanced budget by promoting a short-term stimulative deficit. That prompted a lively exchange between the conservative and the NDP leaders. And what I get from the conservative campaign is a kind of trying to have it both ways. On the one hand, you're, you're trying to say to all those Canadians who want a, a balanced budget now, yes, we'll have a balanced budget, and yet at the same time you're saying no. Now, I'd, I'd really like to know definitively uh, where you stand in the issue. I guess Are you saying you're going to have a balanced budget in the coming year or not? I guess, Mr. Broadbent, I'll simply have to ask you to try a little harder to understand exactly what we're saying. What we're saying is that we would put a much greater reliance upon the private sector than you would, because we think that the likely, likelihood of uh, real stimulus creating real jobs that will last is going to be much more dramatic uh, through the private sector. Uh, we think that uh, uh, that, that will generate the, uh, the revenue base on which governments can draw. Uh, we think that whether it happens this year, it will certainly happen by the, by the end of the, uh, the, f- the first four years of a, of a conservative government, that we will have the, the deficit, uh, the, uh, much, uh, the, the budget much nearer balance than it is right now. In the 1979 election, Broadbent was able to increase the seats of his party to 26, a rise of nine from 1974, and this was the most the party had won since 1972. Less than a year later, Broadbent went through another election, and he once again raised his party's seat count, this time by five, hitting 32. This was the most the party had ever had since became the NDP in 1961. Ed Broadbent launched his national campaign tour this week with two main purposes in mind. First, he wanted to convince Canadian voters that this federal election is necessary and that it was caused by the progressive conservative government's inability to live up to the promises it made in the last campaign. Secondly, he wanted to convince voters that after 16 years of liberal government and six months of progressive conservative government, it's time for a change. That strategy was clear from the opening news conference on Tuesday in Toronto. The reason we're in an election at this time is that Prime Minister Clark betrayed his central promise to the people of Canada for the May 22nd election. At that time, he promised to discontinue a number of basically wrong economic approaches to the Canadian economy taken by the Liberals. Instead of discontinuing those policies, Mr. Clark, in fact, continued with them right up to the present. In the early 1980s, Broadbent faced a revolt within his party over his support of the repatriation of the Canadian Constitution. The party would endorse his position in 1981 at the annual convention, but discontent was still present. This would reach ahead in 1983 when Prairie delegates circulated a manifesto that was openly critical of his leadership. Rather than oust dissidents from his party, though, Broadbent listened to them and spent hours speaking with them, eventually bringing them back towards supporting his leadership in the party. One aide would say, He can get angry or move quickly to solve a problem with someone or something, but he won't hold a grudge for years the way some politicians might. One thing that Broadbent was known for was his love of Havana cigars, and he always kept a well-stocked wooden cigar box next to his stereo in his office. In fact, in 1981, Fidel Castro personally gave him cigars during a visit to Havana. Broadbent, disregarding the American rules against goods from Cuba, took his cigars into Miami on his way home. 
Many of his aides would actually actively try to prevent photographers from taking pictures of Broadbent smoking cigars, as it was felt it made him look too corporate, and it would offend the anti-smoking group of voters. Broadbent was known for his sense of humor as a member of Parliament as well, including telling a radio interviewer at one point that his religion was Druid. And through the election campaigns, his wife Lucille provided an excellent balance for Broadbent with her sunny personality and bilingualism. Broadbent could speak French, but he was far from fluent. Heading towards the 1984 election, Broadbent had a bit of work ahead of him. In a poll before Pierre Trudeau retired, 23% of voters polled said they did not like Broadbent, putting him above Trudeau, but below Brian Mulroney. In the 1984 election, Broadbent began to get more aggressive on the campaign trail. He focused on calling Turner and Mulroney the Bobsy Twins of Bay Street to show voters that there was little difference between the two parties. The party would also spend $3 million on the campaign, half of which went towards advertising. The 1984 televised debate was also a watershed moment in Canadian election history, with Progressive Conservative leader Brian Mulroney going up against Prime Minister John Turner on the issue of patronage. Mulroney's attacks on Turner during the debate over the appointments was seen as the end of Turner's chances for staying on as Prime Minister. After the debate, the public rated Turner's performance as 4.2 out of 10, while Mulroney rated 6.8 out of 10, and Ed Broadbent rated 6.4. During the election, Broadbent became the first leader who ever took the NDP to first place in public opinion polls, and there were many who believed that the NDP could replace the Liberals as the official opposition for the first time. He's on his way. It was an entrance that would have made a rock star blush. Ed Broadbent in Toronto in the first week of the NDP campaign. Ed Broadbent, front and center, soaking up the adoration taking his message to the people. But this time, the NDP is really in the race. And this time, the NDP is going to win. We're going to form the government of Canada because that's our objective in this campaign. It's the first time the NDP has been able to make that claim with a straight face. Last time, they admit they ran a three-and-a-half-province campaign. This time, they say they've become a national party, and they're going to prove it by winning seats in Quebec. It's a reality of Canadian politics that if the NDP is to become a truly national party, it must start by winning at least some of the 75 ridings here in the province of Quebec. The party has never won a seat here. Until recently, it would have been easier to find a Quebecer who admitted to being a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs than one who'd admit to being an NDPer. But in the last two years, disillusionment with both the Liberals and the Conservatives has boosted NDP support. And now the party that was born in the West is counting on Quebec to push it into power. In the election, his party would actually lose one seat and finished only 10 behind the Liberals for the position of the official opposition after Brian Mulroney won 211 seats, the most in the history of federal elections. And while Broadbent had a professional but chilly relationship with Trudeau, he had the respect of Mulroney, who stated he was a true gentleman in politics. Mulroney cited the fact that while Broadbent took hard shots at him, he never made it personal. As the 1988 election campaign began, Broadbent opposed the free trade agreement between Canada and the United States, but the Liberals did the same, and they benefited from most of the coverage related to it. 
This type of issue dated back several years for Broadbent, who had to find a way to get his party to stand out from the Liberal Party, with which it shared several platforms. Nonetheless, the party was doing very well in the polls. In one poll, Broadbent received approval from 57% of the respondents, compared to 30% for Liberal leader John Turner and 24% for Prime Minister Brian Mulroney. It would be said that this was beyond the fact that Broadbent was a nice person, but because he was highly effective as the leader of his party. In the 1988 election, Broadbent led the NDP to a gain of 11 seats, finishing with 43, the most the party had ever won, and would ever win until the Orange Crush swept Quebec in the 2011 election and the NDP became the official opposition. At this time, Broadbent supported the Meech Lake Accord, which caused further dissent within his party. And at the 1989 Winnipeg Convention, Broadbent stepped down as leader of the NDP after 14 years leading the party. He led the party longer than anyone else. Good evening. Ed Broadbent's loyal followers were moved to tears today by his decision to step down as NDP leader. Broadbent has been mulling over his future for months. The soul-searching began last November when the NDP failed to make the big breakthrough it expected in the federal election. Today, Broadbent told party members it's time for renewal, time for someone else to take on the leader's job. Anna Maria Tremonti reports. A few hours before his speech, Ed Broadbent was relaxed, taking a look at the final draft, going over some last lines. Only a few people knew what he would announce today, and few in this room were ready for it when he did. But now is the time for renewal. Now is the time to pick a new man or a woman to lead this party, to take, to take us the next step towards building that decent, exciting, and compassionate Canada we all believe in. Notre pays nous attend. Thank you. At his retirement, Brian Mulroney offered him the role of CEO of the International Center for Human Rights and Democratic Development, a position he would hold until 1996. There was some speculation that he had been chosen to replace Jean Sauvé as the Governor-General of Canada, but this proved to not be the case. After his retirement, the party would see a decline in popularity until the arrival of Jack Layton as leader in 2003. In 1993, Broadbent would be awarded the Order of Canada. In 2004, Broadbent, at the request of Leighton, returned to politics, and he was able to win his riding in Ottawa Centre. A popular video clip where he was rapping that he was back in politics became very popular online, and likely helped him win. Guess who's back? He's back. Huh. Who's back? Ted is back. Say what? I'm the one you all should know. Once more popular than Trudeau. Voters deserve a kick in the can. Come out now, Martin. Fight like a man. I'll melt the ice like a warm Chinook. With social justice and a great left hook. Say what? Guess who's back? Ed's back. Guess who's back? Ed's back. Float like a butterfly. Sting like a bee. It's time for voting. NDP. Fill the conscience of the nation. The NDP train. Leaving the station. Guess who's back? Doubts that we'll be back, then listen up. You don't know Jack. We put it on our website last week, and website hits went through the roof. Um, the reaction to it has been absolutely amazing. In more ways than one, 
Instead of getting down with the video, Broadband's conservative opponent is just down on it. Michael Murphy's campaign says Broadband has received a gift that exceeds what the law allows, and it's complained this to the chief electoral officer. Is, is that this is a contribution issue. It's an indirect campaign contribution, and the true market cost of that video is at a number significantly in excess of a campaign contribution limit. That limit is $1,000 for corporations, but the makers of the video say the cost to the broadband campaign, had it paid, would only be a licensing fee of a few hundred dollars. It's a business transaction, a licensing issue. Uh, we would normally just charge a small fee for someone to put it up on their website, but since Ed did it for us for nothing, we decided to give it to him for nothing. They're trying to deflect attention from the main issues of the campaign, and frankly, um, we know we're ahead, and they're, they're behind, so... They're trying to, to sling some mud, and it's not working. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Ed Broadband's organization says it won't pull the video despite the Tory complaints, but it is willing to compromise. Ed to the Bebop Bank is offering to take on his conservative opponent in a wrap-off to pick Ottawa Centre's hip-hop team. One year later, on May 4, 2005, Broadband stated he would not be seeking re-election because he wanted to spend time with his wife, who was battling cancer. In November 2008, with Jean Chrétien, Broadbent negotiated a formal coalition agreement between the Liberals and the NDP in a bid to replace the Conservative government of Stephen Harper. Harper would prorogue Parliament to prevent the coalition from succeeding. On June 17, 2011, Broadbent announced the creation of the Broadbent Institute to explore social democratic policy and ideas. And in 2014, Broadbent married Ellen Wood, who had been an old friend of his, and they remained married until 2016 when she passed away. Thank you for joining me on another journey through From John to Justin. Next week we begin our very long series looking at every premiere in Canadian history, and we're starting with the first premiere of Prince Edward Island. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Maclean's Canadian Politics and Public Policy, Wikipedia, Regina Leader Post, Saskatoon Star Phoenix, Windsor Star, Fort McMurray Today, Edmonton Journal, Vancouver Province, Ottawa Citizen, and the CBC. The show is researched, produced, and written by me, Craig Baird, with the help of producer Dila Velasquez. Audio design and production by Rob Johnston. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many for you to sink your teeth into. If you enjoy this podcast, then please check out my other podcasts, From John to Justin, Canada, A Yearly Journey, Pucks and Cups, and Canada's Great War. We love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com, or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those in my show notes. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.